Good morning, everybody, or now it is afternoon here on the West Coast. It is January 16th of 2023. I am your host, Dakota Esri. Welcome into today's podcast. Today's podcast is going to be a little bit different than standard normal. We usually do a covering or a wrap-up of what happened this weekend. I will be doing that at a later point in time, probably tomorrow, if not Wednesday, depending upon content drops and what happens throughout the course of the week. Today's podcast is going to be talking about the international slot signings for the Seattle Mariners, as well as part one of the offseason wrap-up for our Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to be talking about everything that led up to this offseason, everything that happened in the course of this offseason, a thing we, we can talk about during the course of this season throughout this uh, mini-series here on the podcast. Today is part one. I have nine dockets I'm going to go through you guys for today. Uh, a couple of uh, slight updates or small updates, excuse me, on the Kraken. And then one small update on the University of Washington. And then we're going to hop out for today. If you guys enjoy the content, the overall conversation, and the topics I bring you on a week-to-week basis, as well as three days per week, please do me a favor and subscribe. I know that um, some of my numbers have been down a little bit recently. Some people some people are going to like what I say. Some people aren't going to like what I say. That's fine. I don't really give a damn. Um, I bring what I bring. I provide what I, you know, what I do. Um, English on there is not the greatest in the world, but however, um, this is a podcast that is strictly about trying to look at things from an analytical 30,000 feet perspective. Yes, I'm a Seattleite. Yes, I bleed blue and green. Yes, Mariners are my favorite team in the, in the entire world, but I am not a homer. I'm a realist and that's what I do here. So getting that right out of the way from the very, very get go and from the start, because I have heard some feedback about people saying that I'm just a homer and they get tired of hearing about homer stuff. Well, if you think I'm a homer, then this probably isn't the podcast for you. So we're done with that. Um, We have international slot money we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the signings, the draftees. Uh, There's seven names that got uh, signed yesterday uh, throughout the course of the day through the international uh, formal signing draft day. But overall, what I want to talk about most is two guys. One is Jeter Martinez. He's a right-handed pitcher out of Mexico. He is the top-ranked prospect out of Mexico in this year's draft class. He is currently ranked number 42 in the draft class, which isn't terrible. It's not super high. It's not super low. It's about right middle of the park on what you want to expect with this. Jeter Martinez has got an 89-91 mile-an-hour fastball. Really good control of his pitches. He has a great idea of how to attack hitters. Uh, has definitely the frame to build on some serious, um, you know, some muscles, some mass to him. And then you could probably see this kid throwing 94 to 96 when he, when he builds up uh, with it getting a little bit more of a mass, a little bit more of a, you know, better, maybe a little bit better posture, maybe better uh, pitching overall flow, stuff like that. But I'm not, I'm not a pitching expert by any means. I just see how the way the Mariners attack this kind of stuff. And I want to talk about him first. He got $600,000 in the international slot money. So props to him and his family uh, for all the hard work to get to that point in time. The big guy, the big honcho, Felon Celestine got $4.7 million. Uh, it is a record for, for, for the Seattle Mariners. That is the largest uh, largest contract for international slot money in club history. By comparison, Julio Elite Rodriguez was ranked number six in his overall draft class for $1.75 million. So obviously the tables have turned um, as it is in society and the world we live in. Stuff has gotten more expensive as the years go on. It's not you can't pay the same amount of money for the prospect as you did in 2017 as you do in 2023. Um, so 
A lot of people are asking about the money comp between uh, Julio and Celestine. Uh, the Here is the profile for those of you who do not know who this kid is. And I understand that probably 99.9% of you guys who listen to this podcast aren't huge on international slot money signings. But this is really important because this is how the Mariners revamp their farm system, especially after the trades for Luis Castillo and Teoscar Hernandez. Um for uh, Felnin Celestine, excuse me, is a switch hitting shortstop. He is uh, roughly about 6'2", 170 pounds, built well, has above average uh, raw talent, speed, power, has an incredibly good glove. He comps to um, Francisco Lindor, stuff like that. There's been some other questions about how does he compare to like Wander Franco, Roberto Poisson, excuse me, that's a very hard name for me, Poisson. Uh, Poisson is a prospect for the New York Mets. He is a switch hitting prospect, has a ton of talent. Doesn't have the real amount of power upside though. That's that Celestine does. Apparently this guy's got a lot more power in his bag and has worked harder on uh, a lot. He's been able to find a more consistent approach at the plate, which has been able to get him more consistent plating, uh, plate appearances and consistent, uh, overall, um, results at the plate. That's what I'm looking for there. Excuse me. There's a lot of consistent in there. So I apologize for that. Celestine though, in my opinion, probably slots in and top five for prospects. Number one is still Harry Harry Ford to me. Two is Bryce Miller. Um, I'm going to be doing a full prospect breakdown here. Probably like very quickly. Now the international slot money has been used up. I think they still have a couple more bucks they can spend out, but they're pretty much wrapped up. You have a, Lazaro Montez on there. You have, uh, I think Emerson Hancock's probably going to be in like the later part of 10. But I think Celestine probably for right now is five. Number five, you can put him at number five or number four. He just has an incredible profile to him. The fact that Mary Seven had a really good shortstop since Alex Rodriguez has been a long friggin' time coming. So I'm really excited about, about this kid. He has the ability to really change life with him and Julio. I think that realistically, he won't be in the big leagues for probably four years. Probably the same track for Julio. Julio signed in 2017. He's in the leagues 2023. That's a six-year process. A lot of people are going to say, well, if you're looking at a six-year process, that means Julio is halfway through his deal before Celestine comes in. Yeah, but at that point, Julio Rodriguez will be an established major league superstar if everything continues to go to track. Knock on wood. But it's uh, it's a very promising day for the Mariners organization. He has been dedicated to this franchise for well over the course of the last year to two years. Uh, this process takes a lot of time and international slot money. They usually dedicate to these kids pretty young, 13, 14 years old. Uh, that way they can get their foot in the door as soon as possible because this is an arms race. This is how you know these teams are attacking uh you know, this international slot money is based upon the sooner you get your foot in that door to intrigue to them is the sooner you can get their uh, peak, their interest and try and get a cap on their head before another team comes in and swoops in one slight note on international slot money is the fact that the Texas Rangers signed the second and youngest son of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Pablo Guerrero. So he is now a Texas Ranger. So that's kind of a fun name to bring up right now. Um, that was really the other big name that popped up uh, for me on my timeline when it comes to international slot money. Arbitration updates for the Mariners. I got three names. I have the exact numbers of what they have filed for and what the Mariners have filed for. First off will be Teoscar Hernandez. He filed $16 million. Mariners came back at $14 million. I'm anticipating this will be done pretty easily, pretty quickly. I would also wouldn't be surprised if they just give him a long-term extension. I know a lot of people are saying we got to see him perform before they give him an extension, a.k.a. A Jesse Winker experience. But Teoscar Hernandez is way, his profile is so much 
it's so different, excuse me, than Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker's track record was right-handed pitching, crushed. Left-handed pitching, struggle. Hard hit rate was pretty decent in Cincinnati, but it was Cincinnati. Teoscar Hernandez has been one of the highest hardball hitting rate percentage-wise in all of baseball for years on end. This guy's going to smack the cover off of baseballs and anticipate the Mariners and Teoscar may on the final number. Probably... Um, you know, obviously splitting between 16 and 14 is going to be 15, but I'm going to guess they might do a, you know, a sign of good faith and maybe give him 15 and a quarter, maybe 15.25. Diego Castillo fouled 3.225. Mariners went 2.95. So you're talking about 300 grand difference between those two. And Dylan Moore, Demo, uh, 2.25 million. Mariners counted at 1.9. I don't expect, expect Dylan Moore probably just to take the 1.9 because of his role. He is going to get an expanded role in this season, especially, uh, excuse me, especially with the role he's going to be having with platooning at second base is what it sounds like between him and Colton Wong to keep Colton Wong fresh and give Dylan Moore uh, more at-bats versus left-handed pitching as he has shown the league that he can really hit the ball pretty well against left-handed pitching. He had WRC plus of over a buck 20, which is 20% higher than league average for those who do not know about WRC plus and what that number means by chance. So just want to toss that out there. And that's what I have for Mariners for today. And now we start the meat and potatoes, my favorite thing, the Seahawks off-season part one wrap-up. First off, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, family members that I know and love very much to listen to this podcast, it has been one hell of a season and a roller coaster for our Seattle Seahawks. Off-season started what was called the meeting between Jody Allen and Pete Carroll. Was Pete going to walk out the door? Was Jody Allen preparing for life without Pete Carroll? Was there a time where he was, quote, archaic and he was outdated, as all these other um, media stations and TV shows have said and stuff like that? Well, what we found out pretty quickly was that Pete still has it. Obviously, Pete still has the juice. He still has the ability to relate to these players. He has the ability to recreate the exact same locker room feel he did when they had a young KJ, a young Sherman, a young Bobby, and a young Russell. And then, then the list goes on, Cam Chancellor Earl Thomas. He is back in his wheelhouse. When Jody said last offseason that he that she wanted Pete and John to get back in their wheelhouse, that means you need to draft. You need to uh, grow these kids. You need to recreate your program. You need to reestablish your culture inside of your locker room. And he has done everything to that and then so much more. Look at where we were supposed to be. We were supposed to suck. Every single media outlet this season, every part of this country, ESP, uh, first take, ESPN, SportsCenter, Colin Cowherd, Undisputed, first things first, everything I can, every you know show I can list off the top of my head, they all said we were gonna suck, we were gonna be terrible, we were gonna be one of the worst teams in football. Geno Smith is a, you know the worst quarterback possibly in all of football to start. Drew Locke is a couple you know, notches ahead of him. Are they going to approach the conversation of acquiring Jimmy Garoppolo? How about Baker Mayfield? How about Sam Darnold? Um, you know, do we try and trade for Lamar Jackson? There were so many conversations that were going on, right, through the course of, this, of the offseason. And then, boom, we have a blockbuster, massive, massive trade that shook the entire landscape of this country when the trade was announced that Russell Wilson was being traded to the Denver Broncos for Shelby Harris, Noah Fant, Drew Locke, and a handful of picks. Two firsts, two seconds. I believe a single third and a fifth 
People said, did we get enough for Russell Wilson? Why didn't you get three first-round draft picks for Russell? He's a franchise quarterback. He's going to change life in Denver. He's going to be the Messiah, the Savior, the, you know, the God, whatever you want to refer to him, right? Well, as we all know now, uh, that clearly was not the case in Denver. Um, Jody bet on Pete and John to re- to reestablish their culture and their winning ways that they used to have back in the days when we were one of the best, if not the best team in football on offense and defense with the smash mouth LOB, Marshawn Lynch and the beast quake running out of the backfield. Yes, that was Matt Hasselbeck, not Russell Wilson. That's not the point. We had the established identity of this team. Right now, this Seahawk team and identity is a very interesting conversation, one that we will address in a later part in this series. But the fact that Jody Allen, who took the reins of this organization, of this franchise, of this community, of this fan base, and said, I believe in my coach, I believe in my in my general manager, and you're seeing teams now who bet on the quarterback instead of the coach. And now the quarterback ruined the season, ruined the draft pick compensation, ruined the locker room, caused a head coach to be fired, a first-year head coach to be fired, and now they're in shambles. They're trying to, you know, court in players, and uh, not players, excuse me, in coaches, and that's just a different, uh, it's a completely different hemisphere than what we're living currently inside Seattle, and it's Quite frankly, we're very blessed to have what we have here in the Pacific Northwest. Our quarterback situation, as I touched on, was it going to be Drew Locke, Geno Smith? Drew Locke, Geno Smith. Are we going to trade for Baker Mayfield? Can we convince the the 49ers they don't need Jimmy G? Well, I think we got our answer that Geno Smith was the correct choice. Geno versus Drew Locke was one of the most interesting conversations in Seattle sports media for months and months and months on end. It's been a source of conversation that never ceased to really have an ending to it. People questioned, why would you just be content with Geno Smith than Drew Locke? Don't you want better players to better off or do you want to better your, your program to make you perform at a higher rate? Why would you give DK Metcalf a $25 million per year contract when you're not, quote, rebuilding? But yet, it, you know, this is... This is why this conversation is so, it's, it's, there's so many layers. It's like, you know, in Shrek, it's like, you know, we ogres are like onions. We got, we got layers to us. It's the same thing with this offseason program, with this offseason wrap up, with this whole team. There's so many layers to this season, to this, to, to how we performed, to where we got to where we are, to how it finished, the way it ended, all of that stuff. But I'm so thankful that we have such a good person at the top in Jody Allen who knows what the hell she's doing. She looked at this overall team. She looked at the situation. She looked at other teams around the the league. And she said, it's the coach. It's the coach. It's going to be about the coach. It starts with the coach. Look at what happened in Philadelphia on a quick side note. The Eagles always had talent. Fletcher Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. Travis Kelsey, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, trade for A.J. Brown. Nick Sirianni comes in, bam, boom, explosion. This team takes off. One of the best teams in football, right? Props to them. That's another example, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, Buffalo, Sean McDermott. Look at the Vikings. Uh, excuse me for not knowing the name of the Vikings coach off, off, off the top of my head. I haven't watched a lot of Vikings games this year. It's 
the conversation is going to continue throughout the NFL. And now the Seahawks have made a microcosm and an example to everybody else to follow. That you do not need to follow the quarterback to win. You must have the coach to establish the locker room, the overall direction of the team, and what you're built about. Like, what are you built on? What do you believe in? What are, what are your your morals? What are your main concepts, your fundamental building blocks to make this into something that can grow in a further time? This is a crazy good conversation. I'm really excited to continue this all the way into the next part, uh, which is going to be probably Wednesday. Could it be Tuesday, but uh, I'll let you guys know on that down the road. Congrats in a transition to Martin Jones, the goalkeeper for your Seattle Kraken, on becoming the First NHL's first star of the week in Kraken history. That is a huge accomplishment. Congrats to him. He went 3-0 throughout this stretch. Uh, 0.933 save percentage and two as uh, Stacy and Bump and Curtis like to say. We got two shutties on the board. And I love it. I love what the Kraken are doing. I'll be honest. Couldn't watch it last season. I tried. Didn't understand what was going on. It's hard to get into something when they're not very good. And this season makes it a lot easier. Matty Beneers, uh, Yanni Gord. You have I'm not gonna list on every name on every every guy on this team because they're so bloody deep. But this is such a great time to be a Seattle sports fan. The Mariners are ramping up for a special season. We're about to see the true ascend to the next level of Julio Rodriguez. Matty Beneers is going to most likely win Rookie of the Year for the NHL, barring some incredible change. Tariq Woolen had an amazing season. We saw was the rookie youth movement in the Pacific Northwest, the Emerald City, has captivated the nation. And I have one small rant I want to end today's show with. There is um, a list that came out recently of the NFL's first team all pro. Okay. On that list, they had um excuse me, they had Aaron Donald on there, right? Aaron Donald had five sacks this year, missed five games. Aaron Donald made the team over Quinnen Williams and Micah Parsons. Quinnen Williams, 12 and a half sacks from the defensive tackle position. Yes, he could probably could, could be uh, could be considered a defensive end, but this is another example, another reason of why the players don't need to vote. They don't need to vote. And people are going to say, well, what do you mean they don't need to vote? They're players. They're, they have a right to vote in their their, 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 their their colleagues, excuse me, right? And I feel like I'm speaking out both sides of my mouth right here because of what I, what I just said. I understand that conversation, right? But here's the problem with this. When you're a NFL player, right? And you're at somebody of that, of that, if you're a player of that established level, of that ranking, of that tier level, of that kind of respect, Right, Aaron Donald is a he is a instant first class, undisputed, n- unanimous Hall of Famer. Nobody is going to question that, right? He's probably the best defensive player I've seen since Lawrence Taylor. And no, I did not watch Lawrence Taylor because I'm not an '80s child. Just saying that. But it's just it's so disrespectful to these players that have had such a great season. Michael Parsons has almost 14 sacks, 14, and he can't make it over Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald does not deserve to make the Pro Bowl. Does not deserve to make the all-team first pro. He doesn't. Five sacks is not good enough. Daryl Taylor had a better season than Aaron Donald. Utena Wosu, better season than Aaron Donald. I I could I could me I could feasibly make a conversation that Quentin Jefferson probably had a better season than Aaron Donald. 
just listing three players out of Seattle that had more sacks, better overall um, stat lines, all that stuff. I know stat lines don't speak everything because you have to look at the impact on the actual game and how the you know the impact on on the, on the field. I understand that, but there is a clear flawed problem with this, right? Darius Slay, Darius Slay, and uh, Patrick Sertan were the two corners that made the all the NFL first team All Pro. You know Patrick Sertan has two interceptions this year. Two, two, not one, not three, two. Darius Slay, hey, he's all right. Doesn't have as many interceptions as a Tariq Wollin. Doesn't have as good a play on stats on the season as Sauce Gardner. So what? Because they're rookies, they don't have the ability to make NFL first team all pro. That's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of crap. This is about stats, not about voting for your buddy to get him in, to get him a bonus for his contract when he's already like Aaron Donald's making 20 plus million dollars a year. He doesn't need the extra money. That doesn't matter. That shouldn't give a crap. I'm doing my best to keep this clean because I'm getting irritated with this conversation because it's just so stupid. It's stupid that these two players or four players, example, right, are in this conversation and don't get in and don't actually get, get voted in. Sauce Gardner was better than both of these players this year. He's a lockdown corner. Tariq Wollin has six freaking interceptions. He blocked a kick. What more do you want from the rookie? What do you want? You're going to give Sauce Gardner rookie of the year? This is the problem because you're on traditional Curtis Rogers East Coast bias is what this is. And I'm sick and tired of it. Oh, they're the Rams. Oh, it's Aaron Donald. He's been great his whole career. He deserves to be there. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And somebody tries to have, if you want to have a conversation and try and prove me wrong, I dare, I challenge anybody who listens to this podcast who thinks Aaron Donald deserves to be in the in the Pro Bowl as a first-team All-Pro this year, I dare you to try and come at me, capital PNW Professor, come at me and try and tell me why I'm wrong because you're not, gonna, you're not going to win that conversation. Stats prove the fact that other players are deserving to be there, not the person who gets voted in because it's a popularity freaking contest. Hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast. I'm a little fired up. And uh, off-season plan number two will be coming up here this week. Tune in. Don't want to miss it. Peace.